Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we are going to continue our tour around the AFC, uh, the AFC North. I was doing my pod last night late and uh, uh, had a sick son, so he was up and around a little bit and was trying to post it in the wee hours of the night and for some reason put NFC North, and I apologize for that. If there was any confusion. Um, as there was obviously no intent to have said confusion, we are only going to talk about the AFC North. We will probably get to some of the other AFC, uh, you know, the strongholds such as the Bills, Chiefs, maybe the Colts and, and, and Titans too, because those will be teams that will compete. And uh, yeah, we'll try to get to some of those as we preview who we think the Browns will be going up against to get where they ultimately plan to go, which is the Super Bowl. Every one of these podcasts now, I'm going to uh, going to try my best to uh, touch on a topic before we get to our guest, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the, the ESPN article that wrote was written by Bill Barnwell. He's a great NFL writer, and he wrote about the best offseasons across the NFL, and I wanted to see for him where the Browns ranked. They were a little lower than I thought. Tampa Bay, New England were 1-2, and two. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers 3, Baltimore Ravens 4, 5th is Washington, 6th is the Chiefs, 7 is the Saints. 8, Miami, 9, the 49ers, and then all the way at 10, so still top third uh, offseason, uh, top 10, Cleveland comes in at 10. I would expect a little higher, some teams like the Saints and Dolphins I didn't think did as, did as well as Cleveland, but it's an arbitrary list, it's not the end of the world. I think the thing that I'm most interested in was um, the reasoning behind some of these things, uh, the, the, the what went wrong for Barnwell, it was... You know, we're high on the Brown swap out of defensive line, but but he kind of says he's not sure that this group is any different than the Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi because, you know, you're bringing in Tack who's rebuilding his career. Andrew Billings was an opt-out clown. He's a big name, but he's coming off injury. And then the, the clown he's signing ultimately, meaning Sheldon Richardson couldn't be brought back. I don't totally agree with his reasoning because he said what they could have done differently was look at Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram. You know, I don't, I don't know that those guys are any different than Clowney. And Clowney's a far superior player, and both of those guys have injury risks, especially at their age. So, to me, putting Cleveland at ten is a little bit nitpicky to me because he he spends a lot of time talking about how the secondary uh, was 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 much improved, and uh, you know, there's injury risk. I think he talks about the injury risk too, but ten's a little low. But still, it's a top third of the NFL ranking from somebody who covers a league wide perspective. So, I always think there's some pretty good optimism that should be had there when. When not just our circle of fans think that, that the Browns did well, but you know others around the league. So it was probably splitting hairs for him going maybe 6-10 to 10 area, uh, something like that. But uh, it's it's uh, it's just a fun read. So I would check that out. It's on ESPN. It's, it is a ESPN Plus uh, need, for, uh, need for that. So give that a check uh, if you can, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Things on the OBR that we posted just yesterday. We talked about that offseason ranking. Cody Sweat had an OBR analytics breakout potential of David Njoku that I thought was fascinating. You should read that. We posted the preseason schedule with the quirks uh, involved in that preseason schedule. You know, the Sunday night game and the and the, um, the, uh, the Sunday day game, which is rare for the preseason. So check that out. And then if you do want to check out some YouTube comment, the OBR weekly 
uh, was last night, and it's about an hour long, usually Lane, Fred, Barry, all those guys riffing on Brown's moves, things like that. So that's what's going on at the OBR. Now let's get over to our Baltimore Ravens guest, who is Ken McCusick. Ken is at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. You should follow him. Good, good, uh, good guest, good guy. I think he, he is pretty fair about analyzing the Ravens and what they do, their play. We'll answer your questions. So check him out. He also has FilmStudyBaltimore.com with his own uh, podcast as well, which should be a part of Blue Wire at some point soon. Which reminds me, if you love listening to this Blue Wire podcast, the OBR Film Breakdown, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know how to start, Hustle's the perfect place for you to do so. I know Brad Ward with All Eyes on Cleveland uses Blue Wire Hustle. It's fantastic stuff. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll get your show pushed out on all of the major uh, podcast hosting places such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and many others. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your Cleveland Browns, then make your own voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Again, bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box of this episode if you want to find out more. Make sure, again, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Now, let's get over to our guest, where we talk about the Baltimore Ravens and our look around the AFC North. All right, welcoming in, Ken. How are you, my friend? Life's good. How are you doing, Jake? I'm, I'm A-OK. I'm A-OK. We're going to spend some time talking about the, uh, which now we're, we've done Cincinnati. We're looking at the royalty of the AFC North, the perennial challengers. Uh, the team that I think is going to be a thorn in this, uh, this Browns team's side is these Baltimore Ravens who you cover. You do a fantastic job, Ken. I would not turn to anybody else when talking about this team. Uh, as you guys dealt with, as Cleveland dealt with, a sort of, um, you know, a crazy 2020 season with uh, COVID list battles and things of that nature. And and uh, they, right in the middle of the season, if I recall, right, 11-5 and five season, a really good year despite all of those distractions and and uh, issues and, and a run in the playoffs to the, to the divisional round. Would you say, Ken, with everything the team dealt with last year, it was still, I know the Super Bowl is the real thing Baltimore's pursuing, that the pieces are there, but did you leave 2020 feeling like it was a success? You know, it's, it's a mixes of checkboxes. The Ravens got their first playoff win with Lamar Jackson. That's a big step to take forward. And, and, uh, you know, they had that hanging over their head. Now it's, can they make a deep run? I guess, uh, can they get to a Super Bowl? Uh, but it was a mix of things. Obviously, the COVID at midseason was a debilitating strike to this team, and it came at a point where they had, uh, you know, a losing streak that was that was going on against New England and uh, Cleveland. Sorry, New England and uh, Tennessee and Pittsburgh. Uh, not what they wanted clearly at, at mid-year, but they got over that. I thought the way the team came to, together down the stretch, the comeback against Tennessee in the playoffs was a really nice one, and uh, it went to Buffalo. Conditions were as they have been in the previous two playoff losses, windy and and kind of difficult for Lamar to attack all areas of the field. And while I'm not happy about the playoff losses, at least, you know, weather played a factor in each of those three games. It did. There's no doubt about that. It's and it's probably going to keep doing that because of the, Mm -hmm. the nature of the challengers in this division, even Kansas City, it gets 
aggressively cold down that way for some of these playoff games. So how, uh, you know, it's an interesting anecdote for Cleveland finally playing in January. You know, we've seen all these other teams do it for so long and uh, you know, it wasn't terrible for Cleveland and Kansas city, but it will, it will get worse. It will certainly get worse in some situations if the Browns are, well, we expect them to be, and I know the Ravens uh, are getting used to it right now. So mm-hmm. um, let, let's start looking ahead. There's there's uh, there's the thing that the Ravens do so well, uh, as well as Pittsburgh. And you guys are the gold standard in this in this division, and even the, the conference. You could even make a great argument about the NFL. I think you really can. It's continuity. You know, you bring back John Harbaugh once again, brings back Greg Roman, who's done such a fantastic job with Lamar and Don Martin. Is there anything, any notable coaching changes going uh, into 2021 that, that could have an impact on this season? Yes, they, they hired they hired two new guys, Keith Williams and T. Martin, who are going to help mm. the receiving core. So one of them is technically a, an ex-quarterback at the college level uh, and uh, another one, a noted wide receiver coach uh, at a couple different stops in the NFL. So I, I think that it has a good chance to kickstart the passing game. One of the things that T Martin is really trying to do is build trust between the receivers and quarterbacks, get that understanding ready to go. And to me, that's the big thing. Lamar has guys he trusts and everybody else. And, and unfortunately that's one of the things that's, I think has held back the passing game a little bit. Uh, so hopefully that that's better this year. And they have a lot more uh, receiving threats than they did a year ago with uh, Tylon Wallace and Rashad Bateman added to this team in the draft. I, I know, I know that, well, I'll hold off on that question. That's that's a perfect answer. I think those are going to have an impact. We'll get into this with positional analysis. So I'll kind of hold on to their personnel grouping mm-hmm. preferences. Let's talk Lamar. Kind of the first the first thing we're always going to talk about. He's tied to Baker. The 2018 deal. We all know it. You, I come on your podcast. We talk Baker. I come. You come on my podcast. We got to talk Lamar. He's he's taken the steps. Gets him to the playoffs at the end of his first season. Another playoff run. Um, you know, it, it ends in disappointment for everybody that second year. And then the, the last year, I think there were steps made. You know, he didn't win the MVP last year, so it's hard to say the year was as good as his second year. But I still thought he was really good. And 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 I think, obviously, he's going to be a continual threat with not only his feet, but he can he can still whip the football around. And and he's especially deadly coming off play action, I think, is, is, is where he is ex- extremely deadly up the hashes. And is very accurate, too. So, like... I guess my question with Lamar, we all know how well he runs. He's one of the most electrifying athletes in the field. He's so difficult to square up. Nobody squares this guy up. The big conversation, Ken, in Brown circles is like, did we find a Lamar stopper? There is no Lamar stopper. You can't find that guy. You got to have a collective group of defenders who play disciplined football, disciplined rush lanes, and then you just try to do your best to box him in. The way you beat Baltimore is not stopping Lamar. You try to find a way to score more points is kind of the thing that we talk about over here. (laughs) So... When Baltimore talks about how they take another step and it, and it revolves around Lamar, what are the things, in your opinion, Ken, he has to do? He's won an MVP. I know he's been there, but like, what does he have to do to unlock the next level in his game? Well, I think a lot of the disappointment really came from the offensive line last year in terms of their inability to get some things done. But what, what, I, what I'd say about Lamar is that his value is always understated by everybody else in the league. And, and you're, not, you're not understating it with what you said, but groups like PFF or anybody who's looking at statistics to try and measure Lamar in some way. And PFF's trying to score individual plays. What they're not scoring is the most significant part is how Lamar creates opportunity for everybody else on the field to get into level two before there's contact to, you know, be open on, on play action because he takes a step and two linebackers are jumping, jumping into yeah. the gaps. Uh, so you know, they, they miss that. And, and they, I think to their own credit, they, they, 
know that they miss it. But that's where it just, it, you know, you can look at his passer rating and it's still very good, but it's not at the, uh, uh, at the very top of the league. And uh, you can look at his rushing statistics and downplay the importance of that because it's a lesser part of total offensive contributions in the NFL. But what everybody misses, I think, uh, pretty much outside of Baltimore is that he makes the other 10 guys on, on the offense and some would say the defense as well better players. Yeah, Ken, I think you're spot on. The, the, the impact this guy has to, to coverages, to player thought processes on defense, it's a unique worry that, that not many, if I can say not many, I can say there are none. There are no other players that require this level of down-to-down thinking that Lamar does. And that does have a trickle-down effect on everybody else playing defense and then thus playing offense. It just creates opportunities. And that's what's so frustrating, especially thinking back to that Thursday night, or uh, it was a Sunday night game, Monday night game in Cleveland last year. I, I lose my train mm-hmm. of thought with that. It is just how much he impacts everything. The throw the throw to, uh, to Hollywood where he's selling run and throwing. It's just, it is a challenge. And the Browns players talk about it. And I know Joe Woods talks about it is is just he makes you think all the time and that's what you want defenders to be doing thinking and not reacting and and that's why he's such a unique challenge he he's joined by you know now it seems as though jk dobbins is in the role it's his to take mm-hmm. um i believe did gus edwards just get a new contract just got signed so he'll be here in baltimore the next three seasons now yeah so talk to me about what baltimore loves to do run i mean i have an idea idea but i like to talk to folks who, who break this stuff down on that side specifically what what makes J.K. and Gus Edwards such a dynamic duo for what they want to do uh, run game-wise? Well, I think I'm going to add three parts to that because the, you talk about the Ravens having a three-headed monster as opposed to running Nick Chubb or Joe Mixon who, who get a much higher percentage of the individual carries for, for their respective teams. So the Cream Hunt gets a, gets a good number. Mixon is probably the better example there. The, the Ravens really run a three-headed uh, monster, not just from guys who split the carries, but in terms of how they attack a defense on every single play. So they'll usually have... A, uh, a guard or two polling. Last five games last year, they had an incredible number of two-man polls. And that doesn't mean they're running behind that, which is the weirdest thing because they'll, they'll show that and they'll make you react to that. And then they'll make you react to jet motion also, which can be a handoff and cannot. And then they have Lamar or then they have a, a, a side, uh, uh, sidecar handoff. Uh, so they have multiple ways to attack the defense on the same play. And Lamar working through a mesh point is remarkably good at making the other guy miss at reading his keys and, and making that happen. And that's a lot of why Dobbins and Edwards have rolled up good numbers. They both have good broken tackle numbers, but they have good broken tackle numbers because they get to level two for first contact. And so they, they have a lot of extra opportunities there. Uh, this is the greatest rushing football team in NFL history uh, these last two years. And I know the Browns are very good, and they, they have a straight forward Great offensive line with two great running backs. Um, it, the, the Ravens are at another level. And in fact, they, they really, when they face teams that have great rush defenses, it doesn't mean they can stop the Ravens. That's been the one thing in the last two years that we've really seen. It's unique. It's uh, uh, breaking down the counter bash stuff that they love to run last year. It's, mm-hmm. it, we talked about it. We had a recent, what we call the Orange and Brown Report, a chalk talk session where we were talking about run fits. And as we start to do baseline stuff with our fan base of just basically what are gaps, what are techniques up front and what are run fits, it's like, you know, oh, here's fallback run fits because the Ravens will make you uh, challenge with a with a split zone guy who's coming down the line to kick out or he's a he's a Y counter guy. They make you think it's just they they make you I kind of equate it to this, Ken. It's. It's uh, and he, here's why I personally like that the Browns get the Ravens in that weird back-to-back schedule quirk with a, oh, with, yeah. a with a bye week in between. Is it is like the Navy Air Force of NFL offenses, but they have a deadly throwing ability too. So 
it's so unique. Nobody else in any level does what they do. So you're, you're taking what your normal NFL preparations are. And then you're like, Oh, now we got to defend here. I got to stay home. I got to take on this pulling guard all the time, or I'm the read key on 25% of my plays. I got to make sure I, I do my job for the linebacker, making him pull or doing whatever. It is so uniquely challenging. And I, I'm a little bit cautiously optimistic that the Browns do get the Ravens with, with a game by week game, because that does help in preparations. So, I, I agree. I think it helps a lot. And, and I'm, I think the NFL really shafted the Ravens on the schedule this year. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about that, but the Steelers and Ravens, uh, Ravens play two teams coming off bye weeks. The Steelers have other negatives on their schedule. Just talking about the when, right? So you get the where, and that's all decided ahead of time. You got the who, and that's all decided ahead of time. Nobody has any right to complain about those things. But yep. when, in terms of the when, that's when the Ravens really got hosed. The Browns got have an excellent opportunity by schedule to really take advantage of that this year. And that's not just that week 12, week 14 uh, matchup either. Yeah, it's um, – I think Pittsburgh – you go to Pittsburgh in between there, right? Between those that's two correct. games? That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. It makes it even more challenging. Getting three straight division games like that is so strange. Uh so, listen, us in Browns territory are not going to spend much time feeling bad for, for all the winning that the Ravens do. So, <laughs> um, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about wide receivers then. It's, it's a group that added Sammy Watkins, added a guy that the Browns Twitter loved and Rashad Bateman. We were all about the Browns taking him if the opportunity presented itself and they didn't have some of those guys they needed defensively on the board. Love him. Do you feel – I know Miles Boykin's back. Do you, Devin Duvernay, mm-hmm. we like him too. I mean, Tyler, it's actually – as I sit here and stare at it now, it's it's an even more impressive group than I thought coming into this. I know Tylen's having a nice little OTA session. I've seen some reports about him making some plays. Are you guys feeling much, much more optimistic about the collective group this year? And I don't even know how many get on the field at any given one time. So kind of elaborate there on that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, I, a lot of specialists, I think, and a lot of guys who are going to be there that will not do as much in their rookie years as they may do in the future. Uh, they got Sammy Watkins. Uh, I think they really got him to be the X. Now he may or may not be that. Actually, it might be more of a slot guy. Uh, does a lot of things that are, that are good in terms of getting over the middle of the field. Rashad Bateman, even better. He gets to the top of the route tree, goes wherever you want him to go. So one of the most diverse receivers in terms of route running coming out of college football. Has some hands problems. Uh, a lot of that is, we think, focus and concentration. But he did have a fair amount of college drops that will be a concern at the pro level. Uh, Tylen Wallace more of a one-trick pony. He's a vertical route runner on the right sideline in college, and he had, you know, basically has two routes uh, that are a lot of what he does. I mean, he probably runs some posts and some and some verticals, but he it does some hitches and comebacks as well. And and those are that's really about it. He does not really cross the field much. So Bateman will be a big addition. He's he's a big extended play addition for Lamar, which I think is one of the big things they have to look for whenever they go for another receiver is, how's this guy going to be on an extended play? Uh, you know, Marquise Brown looks like he's playing pretty well this offseason. He did take today off, so did Bateman. Uh, but they have a, a, you know, a quality receiving core and certainly the best receiving core that the Ravens have ever had. Okay, so now let, let, let's talk tight ends. And, and really, when you talk tight ends, you got to include Patrick Ricard in there because he's, he's essentially an extension of what they do in the blocking game. And we all know how effective Nick Boyle is. Uh, as as a as a blocking tight end, I would say one of the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL. And then we uh, we know Baker's feelings for Mark Andrews, and it's been really hard to watch him <laughs> find so much success yeah. in Baltimore. Um, but but kind of just like 
How are they using them? Uh, I mean, do you think Ricard is on the field a little bit more? I mean, are they playing two two of those guys at any given time and then like to get Ricard in, or is it a mixture of those three? It's it's usually 12 or 21. And in fact, when they had James Hurst, uh, they had a fair amount of 13 that they played mm-hmm. in 2019. That was really the secret. And and I think the Ravens might like to bring back 13, which doesn't necessarily mean Ricard's on the field. It may mean, you know, three other tight ends are on the field, like Boyle, uh, Andrews, and, and Josh Oliver, who they brought in, I think is likely to make the team. Not a sure thing, but possible uh, to make it. He was on Jacksonville last year. Yeah. Uh, be a guy, an extra guy who could catch the football. They have actually a lot of choices at tight end. They have a, about seven guys, and all of them are at least practice squad worthy. Um, but, they, but they may not... Uh, well, they won't be able to keep all of them. They're going to have to release some guys and and uh, and let it ride. Um, I, I think that the team would do well to keep Ricard out of an inline tight end situation, but his versatility is nice. So one of the things the Ravens do, and, and one of the hardest things to react to as a defensive coordinator, is send on three tight ends. And, you know, you as a defensive coordinator, very hard to decide how you want to defend that. Do you want to defend it with more uh, defensive backs? You do you want to try to defend it with an extra linebacker? What do you want to try and do? Because you you uh, run the risk of being wrong a lot of the time. And, and they, they may have a checked call on a lot of the 13 personnel that's specific to what is the defensive um, uh, package I'm facing. And I know that that is something Cleveland's trying to prepare for, is trying to get those guys who can do a little bit of both. That if a team like Baltimore stays in base but has guys they can throw the football to out of their – you know, 21 personnel or 12 personnel, whatever, that, that Cleveland can stay in a consistent grouping and feel okay about defending. You're never going to, you're going to have groups that are better at run pass defense. But if you can find a group to raise your basement uh, that, that on one side of the, the spectrum there, whether it's a, a heavy defensive back group that can play the run game or a, a group of linebackers who can effectively play the pass game, that's kind of what you're looking for. So Cleveland's trying to find ways to combat that, not that they have in any way solved it. So that will, Obviously, the effectiveness of, of Ricard and then those tight ends that are so deadly uh, will, will always play a big role in, in, in Baltimore's offense when they come to Cleveland or vice versa. So talking offensive line, you talked about how it was a problem last year. I know Ronnie Stanley's injury, obviously, anytime you lose a player like that is, is debilitating. Uh, and, and then Orlando Brown now with the Chiefs, part of the trade. You bring in Alejandro Villanueva. We'll start with the tackles. Ronnie Stanley feeling good. Do you think he's going to be back 100% ready to go? And how do you feel about Villanueva? Yeah, I don't have any idea on Stanley, first of all. So I'm not privy to anything more than anybody else is. And and if they tell you that he's going to be playing week one, I think I just don't believe him still. I don't know. So I don't believe him. But uh, Stanley's excellent when healthy. And if he comes, my my biggest fear probably is not necessarily that he won't be back for week one, but that he maybe won't be the same player again. And, uh, you know, we, we just don't know coming off an ankle injury if everything's going to be all right this first year. He's, the quickness of feet should not be lost by such an injury, but he did have a setback in terms of having a, a second surgery. So we'll have to see how that works out. Villanueva, I think, was brought in exactly for the possibility of him not being right, is that he's really a left tackle who will be played, playing right tackle if Stanley is healthy. But he's really the primary reason to get him was to back up on the left side. And I don't know if, if Browns fans saw, but just yesterday, the, the Ravens signed Joan James on a deferred deal, effectively, where he'll, he'll have, a, I believe, a non-football injury designation this year, which Denver had already given to him. He's fighting Denver over that with some, uh, you know, legally with a, with a what do you call it, complaint, um, but, but the grievance. But, but he uh, uh, could be a real good addition for the Ravens in 2022. So we'll see how that works out. 
Yeah, definitely a notable signing. Uh, as as was Kevin Zeitler. We know we mm-hmm. know Browns fans know we we loved Kevin in his time in Cleveland. Uh, we know Bradley Bozeman's a good player. You, you drafted Ben Cleveland, who who we liked studying his tape. Um, I'm not sure who's going to be your starting center. So maybe elaborate on the guard yeah. center guard setup. Sure. Well, I, the interior offensive line, the Ravens big problem last year. And, and in particular, they had a lot of snapping problems at center. I think they've addressed some of that in two ways. First of all, Bozeman will move to center from left guard and they've already basically said okay. so. Um, but, but that's his college position, which so what, but he also has shorter arms and uh, you know, some pass blocking deficiencies that Bozeman had a very good run blocker and puller, but some pass blocking deficiency has, he'll be able to uh, do better at center, I think. So that'll be, that'll be a good position. Uh, he'll be able to do all the combo blocking stuff, hold the back end of double teams, get to level two. I mean, he's all, he's done all that already. So I, I'm yeah. not concerned. So I think he'll be good. Uh, Zeitler is the perfect guy to open the front door, good enough length to do so. Uh, and the Ravens have a primarily right-handed run scheme, meaning they pull from left to right much more. And you want a guy with length in that position. Yanda got away without having length, but Zeitler is really perfect. And good, good pass blocker. But I'll say the other thing that I think he'll really help the Ravens at. I expect him to take up some of the cadence responsibilities when they're not in in playing fast. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of that, it should reduce the number of bad snaps from Bozeman to uh, Jackson, which will that will improve the offense significantly right there because that was a lot of the big negative plays for the Ravens last year that cost them in games were, were snaps over the quarterback's head. Yeah, especially with a scheme that's so dependent on timing, right? Yeah. Yeah, very very timing dependent scheme. So you 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 can't have Lamar be distracted at the snap because he's got reads to make, yep. and, and and those reads occur out of the shotgun, whether it's a run play or pass play, because the Ravens basically run everything out of the shotgun. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Let me let me hit on left guard for just a second because sure. this is the position I'm really excited about. Uh, ben Cleveland, my number three rated guard in this entire draft. The number two guy, Jackson Carmen, who went to the Bengals. He's going to be a big pain in our ass for years to come. <laughs> I think he'll be good. Uh, um, uh, you know, the number one guy was with ABT like everybody else, but Cleveland was my number three guy. Absolutely mammoth man. And if you look at, at everything he does from a raw athletic perspective, he's way ahead of Bozeman. And if the Ravens coaches can teach Bozeman how to pull as effectively as he did in Baltimore, then they're not going to have any problem with Cleveland either. And I think uh, he's already a, a pretty damn good pass blocker. Uh, he'll wear number 66. And I've come to the, uh, you know, tossed it out there that we ought to call it running up route 66 whenever you run behind a pulling <laughs> Pulling or comboing Cleveland. Yeah, it's going to be a scary group. I think there's 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 the big element of that interior, and it is such an important interior when you run the type of offense they do, moving parts, uh, handling double teams, gapping down, moving people off the line of scrimmage. And if your guard center guard is not right, and especially if your center is inconsistently snapping the football, right. it is it is just brutal to get the timing down and trust those guys to do their job. So that I'm sure you guys are excited about, as you mentioned, uh, to get those things rectified. We'll switch over to defense. Um, some some guys left, some guys arrived. Let, let's let's talk about we'll talk about the front first. Uh, g- give me your feel on. Uh, it's always an odd front. It's a different group. It, it's it's a unique uh, way they approach defense in, in Baltimore. And I, I personally, I absolutely hate it, but I'm sure you guys love it. Uh, just kind of <laughs> just kind of talk to me about some some of the big arrivals. And um, I know I know you're 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 obviously still excited about Justin Matabuke, just Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams. All those guys are still there. Just just give me your feel for the front this year. 
Right. So the, the, the interior defensive line, if we're talking about that first, is is a group that still has the Monstars in place. That's Derek Wolf, Brandon Williams, and, and Clayus Campbell. That is a, a, a very old unit. Justin Ellis is, is around. He may or may not make the team, but, but I think he probably will just because he's a, a, a solid backup nose tackle. Uh, when the Ravens had problems at midseason last year and they lost some games, it was because they had injuries there to Campbell and to Williams and they had Ellis playing 57 snaps in one game. And, you know, Justin Ellis is a good 18 to 22 snap of backup nose tackle, ask him to play 57 and you're asking for it to fail. Uh, So that's, that's, that's a problem. All those guys are 30 plus those four guys. Matt Abike is the one guy who's young. And I thought it was really important for them to get a defensive lineman in this draft. So I I thought they, they might go out and at 27 or 31, uh, if they were lucky enough to have him laugh last, would take uh, Barmore from Alabama, but he was available. They didn't take him with either pick. And he was the only guy who I thought rated a really high draft pick. And after that, they were kind of chasing it down for the rest of the draft. Had some backup nose tackle options late in the draft. They didn't take Kiaris Tonga as a guy I really like from BYU. And, and uh, Jalen Twyman was also available. They didn't, they didn't take him. But Matabike, obviously the young uh, player who has a, a you know a chance to take a big step forward this year. Otherwise, I think they'll be very lucky if the other players do exactly what they did last year. Or, you know, are a little bit healthier, but do what they did last year. Yeah, you're you're spot on about the group uh, with the puts their hand in the dirt. Clay's Campbell's phenomenal, and we know Derek Wolf and Brandon Williams can can be difference makers too. So it is a uh, it is a group that is still very formidable. You talk linebackers, Patrick Queen. I, I don't know if it, you're kind of looking, I'm looking at some depth charts and they're not always spot on. I mean, they, they have mm-hmm. some elite Harrison, uh, Tyus, Tyus Bowser there as well. I mean, I, I, I should ask too, when we're looking at linebackers, cause the listings of what some depth charts have and what, what they actually do play wise. It's like, where does Jason mm-hmm. Oway fit in for you as well? I'm curious about that. Uh, outside linebacker. Uh, he'll, he'll play on the rush side. And I know, I know that some, I'm looking at one that has him on the Sam side here right now. This is actually kind of funny. Uh, now I expect him to play against a naked offensive tackle pretty much every time he's on the field and, and they'll realign to do that just the way they did for trail Suggs. Uh, away, uh, very long arms at 34 and a half inches, tremendous, very raw prospect, uh, a little bit of a gamble at number 31, uh, did not have any sacks at Penn State. The Ravens still think he's got a huge upset side as a run defender. I tell you, that's not enough in and of itself. But he does have those long arms to dictate first contact. And I think once he figures out how to say, I'm making first contact and time up his counter appropriately, he will consistently get lesser athletes, which is everybody he'll ever face at left tackle in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to overreact to that first move and he'll be able to uh to get that right so i'm 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 really excited to see what he'll do as a pass rusher uh i think he will also be a good run defender as well yeah i i'm uh, the, one of the more uh polarizing prospects right the the, the mm-hmm. people talk the production people give him all these 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 uh these downward marks and it's like there's more to it man i think there's something there and i i'm i'm going to be interested to watch how he develops especially in a defensive system that i think is going to be really good for him um I'll, I'll let you talk about some of the linebacker interior guys patrick queen is malik harrison lj ford where does that stand is he yeah. is malik gonna me, get some run there do you mind if i come back to that i'm gonna go to the outside oh, linebacker since we go started ahead. that okay so, so the outside linebacker group got ripped with the losses of Ngakwe and Judon. And Judon, unfortunately, I had it called right up. He's going to go to the Jets or the Patriots because they're the teams who really run a lot of football the same way. And the Jets, in the case, have have uh, Hugh Douglas, who is comes from a Ravens background. So they've mm-hmm. collected all these ex-Ravens on their team. <laughs> uh, but Judon uh, uh, 
he will be a very good player for the Patriots, I'm afraid. And it's a big loss uh, for the Ravens. Uh, Ngakwe was providing something in the pass rush down the stretch, though not maybe what the Ravens hoped when they traded for him. Uh, they didn't fully replace that position. You know, they've got five guys right now uh, to fill what should be four game day roster spots. And, and that's the weakness of the Ravens. I'd say Tyus Bowser uh, will be the guy who gets most of the Sam linebacker snaps. Uh, he's very good, and particularly in coverage. Um, the Ravens run a scheme where uh, you, they, your outside linebacker is not necessarily coming. Uh, they really yeah. like the flexibility and and uh, uh, dropping people off ball. They like to do a lot of stunting, and they like to do a lot of simulated pressure. So uh, they'll they'll have good options for that. Which is perfectly indicative of the interception Baker threw to Bowser, I believe, there in the uh... – in the Monday night or that Sunday, that was a Monday night football game. I keep screwing that up, but yeah, it was just a perfect little drop. Baker didn't see him. He gets his hand on the football makes mm-hmm. a heck of a play. So that is challenging for quarterbacks. Yeah. Three interceptions for Bowser last year, which is remarkable for an outside linebacker. He dropped to coverage about 40% of passing snaps. So that gives you an idea of, of how they're trying to use him. He's, he's very quick, very good on, on, uh, um, stunting. Uh, he's not the guy the Ravens are probably going to want to have in there on the early downs for multiple reasons. First of all, they need him on every single passing down. And second of all, uh, he's, he's not as good at holding the point of attack against the run as some of the other guys they have. For sure. Talk, talk to me about Patrick Queen. Is is, is rookie yes. year? How, how did how did he handle it? How do you think he projects going forward? Uh, extremely disappointing rookie year from Patrick. Um, it's uh, There are a lot of splash plays. There's an AFC Defensive Player of the Week in there or Rookie of the Week. I forget which, but it doesn't really matter. Um, he, he was all about the splash plays this last year. It makes a ton of mistakes in coverage. He got a little better as the season rolled on in terms of his ability to cover, but he seems to get man and zone responsibilities uh, mixed up a lot. And the Ravens had a lot of on-field emoting um, that was directed at Patrick Queen. And when you see that, you know it's blown assignments. So you'd see Humphrey come over to him. Humphrey, is, he's, a, he's an accountability guy on the field. And he'd come over yeah. and he'd cock his head to Patrick Queen right on you know, national yeah. TV. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, then you see others and they're more subtle about it. But, but you, know, you see LJ Fort pointing down to a spot and then he low fives him. Okay, well, that's, he obviously told him something that he didn't do on that last play. And he was cool about it, as cool as he could be. But yeah. you know, there's, there's so much body language going on on that field for, for uh, incorrect play. He's a, he's a decent downhill um, uh, player, uh, rushes the quarterback pretty well, comes forward to cover okay, uh, particularly on runbacks. Even can cover a guy on a wheel route, can sometimes cover a tight end if it's just a man responsibility. When it starts to get off bunch of formation, anything like that, he gets confused. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, we, we saw some similar things from Jacob Phillips. The Browns just didn't quite trust mm-hmm. him. Uh, to find the football field enough, but there were moments, there were moments when he was healthy, he had some knee injuries, but when he was healthy, you'd see it there. So uh, I love Jacob Phillips coming out of the draft two years ago, boy, he was a, he was a guy I wanted the Ravens to target as a, as a two down guy, not a three down guy. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where we're at. We're trying to figure out if he is, it's going to eventually be a three down guy, but it's probably pointing toward a two down guy. So uh, those two kind of parallel, we, we, we follow the, the, the careers of both is, is Malik Harrison going to find the field as the will? Yeah, I, I, he should. I mean, the funny thing about this is Patrick Queen really has the the skill set of a will, yeah. and and Malik Harris has the skill set of a Mike. He's a much bigger, <laughs> more physical player, and you know, good downhill player. Has some coverage ability. You know, I think he'll learn more about the what's going on in behind him component of zone defense. Uh, but you know, the the draft capital expended forces Queen to be on the field all the time, which makes him the Mike that sits alongside on third down a what we hope this year will be a dime back again what last year 
was a a proxy dieback in Chris Board, who uh, is, you know is adding another linebacker to the field. That was one of the other weaknesses of Baltimore's defense last year was was having him on the field on third down. Yeah, well, let's talk about secondary. You're talking third downs. Let's. It's the most dynamic corner group, and and I'm not just talking Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, who are phenomenal football players. I'm talking about everybody: Jimmy Smith, Anthony Averett, even into Tavon Young at nickel. And you took Sean Wade, who I was hoping Cleveland would be able to try to maybe snap up later uh, as a depth nickel guy who could eventually maybe take that role. And and uh, I say it again: I'm going to remind you that every year it seems like the Ravens have taps on who Cleveland people like, and they always find a way <laughs> to to pick those guys. But yeah, t- talk about uh, just corners and 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 how confident you are in this group because you're pretty spoiled over that way of corner. Yeah, it's a, it's a good group. Certainly it's an older group though. And a lot of those guys are going to be gone in a year. So I look at the, there's four positions, four players who won't be here. Marcus Peters will be in the last year of his deal. So he's a very likely cut going into 2022. If he doesn't have a very big year this year, because mm-hmm. uh, I guess you could always save it that way. Uh, Tavon Young playing on a reduced salary this year on the second year of a three-year deal where if he doesn't, he's at a crossroads for his NFL career as a whole. If he gets hurt again, I think he might be done. If he uh, uh, plays well, plays like Tavon did in 2018, which is now three years ago, uh, yeah. then you know the Ravens probably keep him around for another year, maybe maybe extend him even. Uh, Anthony Averett's coming into his fourth year. Uh, a good fourth corner on your team. If you have him, you're doing great. If you have him as your fifth corner, uh, which the Ravens really do, you're doing fantastic. But the unfortunate thing is they were really going to need to replace him. So they've got four guys. Jimmy Smith, of course, per- perennially in his last year with Ravens, always playing on the series of one-year deals. But he uh, uh, you know, might actually be done this time. And the Ravens drafted two guys. One is a true cornerback, and the other is I can play any defensive back position at all, who probably ends up at free safety. Uh, and that's Brandon Stevens, who they took in the third round. If they're not right about Stevens being as good as he is, it was one of the biggest reaches I've ever seen because he was not on a lot of people's draft chart at all. And I mean, not even listed on a lot of scouting reports. And yet they, they went jumped up and took him in the third round. So they must have sniffed out that somebody else was was interested. Yeah, it was that was a surprising pick in retrospect there. I, I, I know that uh, sometimes Team C fits, and, and, and this happens every single year where a guy jumps up, you didn't expect him, and more often than not, it feels like those guys who who draft people, draft guides, don't talk about or end up being pretty good players. So, you know, I tend to trust Baltimore's front office with a lot of that stuff with their track record. The safeties, uh, I think Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott, I, I, I just my opinion of watching from afar, not not great, not Jesse Bates levels or John Johnson types, mm-hmm. but really solid players in the back half. Yeah, they, they're 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 solid players and they're very cheap. Both big hitters. Uh, Chuck Clark is the captain of the defense. He he wears the green dot. Uh, that move fixed so many things about that 2019 defense and and now the 2020 defense much more disciplined. Um, he, he, that's where his real value comes in. He, He's a, he's a good individual playmaker, good run stopper, but he's not the free safety that the team needs. Elliott's kind of being forced to play free safety. I wouldn't call it out of position, but we haven't yet seen the ball hawking. Otherwise, it could be done. And I think that's really what the Brandon Stevens draft pick is about. They're trying to get a, a, a ball hawk. You know, it's interesting. Brandon Stevens um, played at SMU, and it's very hard to find when you watch the tape on the field. The only You have to really look for his shoes because they play him all over. They played him outside corner, slot corner, and free safety in the same game on a rotating by package basis. So it's just, it's weirdest role in college football for a defensive back that I'm aware of. Yeah. But, but on, on the flip side, and I know you know this, but if, if he works out that, that kind of versatility and experience can help you so many ways and, and a team to trust you to do those things down to down to down. 
could mean really good things for a future of a player like that, finding a role to fit. I know you're, you're more of a safety. Give me a guy who can do one thing and do it really well. Um, so we'll be interesting to see what he ends yeah. up doing well. I think the thing we talked about on the, on the show about the Browns is mm-hmm. I think you can talk about having a versatile safety group, but the guy, the teams that are talking about that don't have the free safety. Needs. As long as you have the yeah. free safety, most other safeties, most other safeties can do all the other things you need a safety to do. I couldn't agree more. The free part is the hardest part of that role. So you got to find yeah. someone that can do that part of it. So th- listen, Ken, this was great, man. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, players to talk about there uh, that, that, that I know Browns fans, people of this, this podcast who listen to it will be super appreciative of, of uh, all the insights. Cause it's nice to know the names. Then you hear them, you watch the Browns play. You, you, Oh, I remember, I remember Ken talking about that on the podcast he did with Jake. So that stuff's always super appreciated. Let's just last question. We'll close on this. Um, and, and I'll throw the court to you is, is, just expectations. What what is is it Super Bowl or bust is like the most success? I mean, like with Cleveland, it's people talk about so that's not the end all be all for me. But I know Baltimore's in a timeline with with veterans and the secondary and up front that that might be where they think they have to go this year to ultimately be a successful season. So I'm curious you're into that. I'm I'm definitely not in that group. And I think the Ravens were good and careful this offseason not to go overboard on signings. You, you mentioned the Browns want to push forward money into 2022. That's brilliant. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they should be doing right now. Because I, I want a team that will compete every year, has as many lottery tickets as possible to get into those playoffs and then bring the kind of football that they're used to playing and and, and try and win a Super Bowl every year, try and compete for it at a minimum. So uh, I'm I'm all for the level effort don't go overboard don't spend the whole wad on one season trying to make it work uh you know we see some teams the tennessee i think is doing that this year uh pittsburgh to a lesser degree is probably taking advantage of the last ben year i don't like it i wouldn't like it as a fan of either of those teams yeah no i i i think the browns have walked a fine line with that uh but but certainly you're you're spot on give me as many lottery tickets as you can over a prolonged period Mm-hmm. Just, just want to say this because I frequent the boards, uh, the message boards in particular for the Browns. Outstanding fan base in terms of really understanding football. That shouldn't be surprising or anything, but it's extremely well developed from an analytics standpoint. Uh, you guys have more people doing it. The Steelers do too, uh, frankly, in the division. The Bengals probably have a few less. Uh, maybe some of that's the age of the organization, the success of the organization is playing into that. But the Browns, uh, even when the franchise is down, extremely educated fans. And we've always... Uh, you know, really appreciated that in terms of the dialogue that goes online and uh, and and what goes on. I know that that uh, Cleveland fans have a special hatred built in the ones who were around 25 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but we we don't hold that you know certainly as a grudge against any individual Browns fans. No, and I don't I don't think Browns fans hold it as a grudge over. I, there's jealousy. There's just true flat out jealousy to to watch how long Baltimore has been good and say that team used to be in Cleveland. Who knows if the Cleveland stuff would have continued the way Baltimore took it and the hires they made, but that's, that's a big part. I mean, I'm sure listeners of this spot will appreciate that. I think there are, Ken, I think you're right. A lot of people who try to cover the Browns who do a bunch of different things and a bunch of cool approaches to the number side of things. And we got people that study the cap and it's unique in that way. I don't really know why, you know, I I would Mm -hmm. be honest. I don't see a ton of people in Baltimore doing it. You do a fantastic job and you're really the only connection I've made. Um, And, and, and that's, uh, that's kind of strange because it's such good football for so long that I figured there would be, I guess I get in this side of Cleveland where I, you know, through Twitter or whatever, I just noticed, I just presume every fan base has this many level of fans who try to yeah, provide no. content. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. The, the yeah. Steelers do. And, and, and I think, you know, Baltimore has a few others. I'm not the only one, but, but anyway, there's there, they, you guys have a disproportionate number, uh, you know, for your fan base, it's just uh, it's just remarkably good how how well brands Browns fans adapt that. 
Yeah, we've we've taken to the prisoner or the hostage theory pretty well. It's been it's been rough, and, <laughs> and we got a lot of people who are still committed to this thing, so it's fun. So Ken, listen, man, we will I'm sure connect during the season on a preview for both of our podcasts because this is just uh it's as good as it gets for understanding our team. So I know my listeners of this pod really appreciate you taking time for us tonight. Okay, hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate coming on. Also, real quick, Ken, tell everybody where they can find you if they're more interested in uh, reading Ravens content or also listening to your pod. Really appreciate it. Filmstudybaltimore.com, regular defensive uh, analysis and offensive line uh, scoring on a play-by-play basis for the Ravens. Got all sorts of other good contributions from other people out there too and a regular podcast that's there. I'm at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. Thanks for having me, Jake. All right. Thanks again, Ken. Okay, guys, that's a wrap on today's episode. As a, a usual plug, I will ask you if you can, please subscribe to this podcast so that these are automatically downloaded for you to your favorite place of podcast listening. I do enjoy or would appreciate a five-star review if you can, and leaving a written description of your enjoyment of the podcast is always very much appreciated. I hope you guys are still enjoying the daily content. We will check back on YouTube for the first time this week when we do our Chalk Talk session Thursday. We will have Pittsburgh podcast tomorrow where we talk about the Steelers and where they're going as a franchise. It'll be fun to kind of talk about the uncertainty in Pittsburgh for once. Um, So yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks to Ken again for coming on. Thanks to you guys for listening and your patience and and uh, as I've gotten, try- at least I'm trying to get better at this process. Hope you're still enjoying it. If you have suggestions, the DMs are always open. Some folks shoot me DMs all the time and let me know what they think. I, uh, I'm always open to listening to suggestions to make this podcast better and a more enjoyable experience for you for your daily Browns content. So until next time, which will be tomorrow, you guys enjoy yourself. Have a great day and go Browns. <laughs>